Our Father in heaven, we come to you through Christ, our high priest, because of his blood and his righteousness. He is our righteousness. He is our atonement. And it's to you on the throne of grace that we boldly come and we pray, please, stand forth from your word, stir our hearts to call upon your name, and that we would be a people marked by desperation for you who call upon your name. God, please do a work in in our hearts and fill me with the Spirit to say what your word says in Christ's name. So, this morning, the point that I believe God wants to say through the many scriptures I'm going to give you is that when you call, your God will hear and draw near. When you call, God will hear and draw near. And so my goal this morning is not to to give you and inform you about a bunch of different verses, which I am going to give you a lot of different verses, but it's not for information reasons primarily. My my goal this morning is to impress upon your souls, to impress upon your hearts that God's people call on his name and he hears and he answers. I don't want you walking out today feeling guilty, thinking, oh, you know, he was right, it's the new year, I really should ramp up my prayer life this year. I'm, I'm just so lousy in prayer, yeah, I feel guilty, I guess I should pray more. You know, I, that, that doesn't do anybody any good. What I want to do this morning is to encourage you to, to come to God because your God listens to you, that, that he hears you and he will answer you. It's not, it's not, oh yeah, I, yeah, I should pray. It's, I can pray. I can pray. My God hears me. I should pray. I can pray. That's, that is the hopefulness that I want to deliver to you this morning, that it's not a guilt trip. It's an encouragement. It's an exhortation that he can that he does listen to us. And I also don't want to communicate something that I say often, which I don't think is wrong. I just don't think it's necessarily the best way to say it. Sometimes I'll say, and others will say, prayer is powerful. There's power in prayer. And that's true. It is powerful. There is power in prayer. But there's a lot of people around the world that pray to their gods, and it has no power whatsoever. Their gods don't listen to them. But I I rather want to communicate this morning that our God is powerful. Therefore, we pray. It's the object of our prayer that is powerful. That's why we pray, because he's powerful. And so, why is the issue of prayer so important? Now, before I get into all these verses, I want to show you there's three reasons that I want to demonstrate as to why the issue of prayer is so significant for us as Christians. First of all, if we are weak in prayer, we are weak everywhere. If we're weak in prayer, we are weak everywhere. Prayer is one of the most faith-filled things you can do. Prayer seems like it, it doesn't work or it is not a lot of work because oftentimes we equate working for the Lord with busyness. But in reality, prayer is what happens when faith is working the hardest. Faith that stops praying stops thriving. The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So in other words, God is pleased when we exercise faith and seek him, though we cannot see him, because we believe that he is there, and that he will reward our diligent pursuit of him. 
and you know, God will never give us less than we ask for, but sometimes he won't even give us what we ask for. And when that happens, you can know that God has something better than what we're asking for. Sometimes he'll say, yeah, I, I hear your call. Just wait. I have something better for you. Because a lot of times our priorities and the things on our hearts are mixed with sin and, and, and unbiblical desires. And God knows what we need. And he hears and he will answer. But in, with something that is even better. <clears throat> Secondly, Satan knows that the weapon of our warfare is the word of God. And that weapon is wielded by prayer. Prayer is what what thrusts the sword of the word. We see this in Ephesians 6. It says, take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication. So you, you take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times. You want to know what to pray? You want to know the will of God in prayer? You want to know how to pray? Just pray scripture. It's, it's certain. It's what the Holy Spirit wants. It's, it's what he's inspired. You can know that that's God's will because it's what he's said. So pray out scripture. Pray it with, with certainty, knowing that God will fulfill his word. And you know, one of Satan's oldest tricks is to get us to not pray first, but, oh, just be clever. Be innovative. Be creative. Read a book. Start a committee. Take a class. Turn on your computer. Google your problem. Talk to a friend. Anything but call upon the name of the Lord. Whatever you do, just don't pray. Don't cry out. Don't draw near to God. And you know, sometimes the enemy will twist scripture to coax us not to pray. He'll something like, oh, you know, God knows what you need. You don't need to pray about that. And, you know, Jesus said that your heavenly Father knows what you need. And that's in the context of being commanded to not be anxious. But when we are anxious, Scripture commands us to cast our anxieties upon him. So, yeah, God knows what he needs, but he also says, pray about it, call upon me, and I will answer you. And then thirdly, prayer was the lifeblood of Jesus' ministry and the lifeblood of the early church. There was only one thing that Jesus' followers asked him to teach them, and it was, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And you, you never see his followers saying, Lord, teach us to cast out demons. Teach us to do miracles. Teach us to preach. Teach us to be spiritual leaders. No, but there was something about the way Jesus drew near to the Father that was so attractive, and it was so warm and so urgent and so powerful that they said, Lord, teach us to do that. We want to know how to draw near to the Father the way you do. Teach us to pray. And even in the early church, Jesus says at the end of Luke, he says, okay, wait here in, in this city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then you see in Acts 1, Jesus ascends to heaven. His followers are praising him. And so what are they doing? They're waiting in the city. And in Acts 1.14, says all of these with one accord were continually devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so when the Spirit came, this is what the church was doing. The, the, the church was, was essentially born and, and, and propelled out of a prayer meeting. That's what they were doing. They were in prayer, waiting on the Lord. They were 
tarrying in his presence. They were calling upon the name of the Lord. It was their first instinct. And I'm going to demonstrate to you that, that the people of God instinctively call upon the name of the Lord. It's, it's what the people of God do. We call upon the name of the Lord. That's what separates us from other people in the world is we are people marked by calling upon the name of the Lord. And you know, when Adam sinned, God said there would be two seeds and two kinds of people from those seeds, the righteous and the wicked. So the first seed is the righteous seed, and that was the Messiah, the Messiah seed. And this is Genesis 3.15. He would be bruised by the wicked seed, which was the serpent. But the righteous seed would crush the wicked seed, and that's what happened on the cross. And then from Genesis 3 through the rest of the Bible, there is this constant theme of these two kinds of people, the people of the Messiah and the people of the serpent. And the people of the Messiah are called the righteous ones throughout Scripture. They are described primarily in three different ways throughout the Bible. There's other ways, but one of the most, uh, three of the most common ways that they are described are those who have faith or those who trust in the name of the Lord, those who fear God, and those who call upon the name of the Lord. And then the people of the serpent, the, the wicked in the world, all those who are not righteous, in other words, they are often described in three different ways, too. And those three different ways are those who do not trust in the Lord, those who do not fear God, and those who do not call upon the name of the Lord. So what is this, calling upon the name of the Lord? Because it's, it's throughout the Old Testament. It's everywhere. What does it mean? And I found a really helpful definition from a Bible dictionary that says, to call upon the name of the Lord means to proclaim or praise the excellence of Yahweh, to worship Yahweh, or to summon Yahweh for, by name for help. And so the Bible teaches that those who call upon the name of the Lord, call upon the name of Yahweh, they are saved. And it also teaches that those who are saved continue to call upon the name of the Lord. So just as those who trust in the Lord are declared righteous, those righteous continue to trust in the Lord. So a life of prayer is a chief expression of that continual trust in the Lord. So you, those who, are, who call upon the name of the Lord, they are saved. And those who are saved call upon the name of the Lord. So, okay, let's see the first mention of those people of God who are called, those who are calling upon the name of the Lord. That is in Genesis 4.26. It says, to Seth, to him was also born a son, and he called his name Enosh. And then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So somewhere in the life of Enosh, so he's the grandson of Adam, the people of God had an instinct to call upon his name. Something about drawing near to God, drawing near to Yahweh in prayer was different than any other God. Yahweh answered when they called out. The true people of God were marked by this. They were marked by calling upon his name. And then it goes throughout the Old Testament. And I'm just, I'm going to just show you a bunch of verses that, that argue that the righteous seed, the people of God, the true people, do call upon the name of the Lord. So, Psalm thirty-one, seventeen. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent and sheol. Psalm thirty-four, fifteen to seventeen. The eyes of the Lord are toward 
the righteous, and he, his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. Psalm 4.3 But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. Zechariah 13.9 And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. And then this even bleeds over into the New Testament. The true people of God are called those who call upon the name of the Lord. Acts 9.14, Ananias is praying about Saul, who is persecuting the church at this time, and says, and here Saul has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. The Christians were those who called on the name of the Lord. Acts 9.21, all those hearing Paul continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name? And Acts 2.21 And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts 22.16 Now why do you delay? Get up. Be baptized. Wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord. So, so this, was, this was part of becoming a Christian. Was those They were marked by this. They were be baptized, repent of your sins, call upon the name of the Lord. And then Romans 10, 12 to 14. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Now that's interesting because he's saying, so these people, they have to believe, and what's, what's a fruit of believing? Calling upon the name of the Lord. They can't call on his name if they haven't believed in him. And this is, so this is assumed that those who believe will call upon the name of the Lord. It's, it's part of being the true people of God. From Genesis, that is part of the righteous seed, the godly line, is they are marked by calling upon the name of the Lord. And then 1 Corinthians 1, 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So the church, the people sanctified for Christ, those who are called saints, they are called, they are all called those who call upon the name of the Lord. That's you. The saints are marked by this. 2 Timothy 2.22 Now flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from pure heart. So part of pursuing holiness and pursuing righteousness and pursuing God is calling upon His name. That is, that is part of the function of sanctification, of growing in holiness, is call on His name. When you call, God will hear and draw near. When you call, God will hear and draw near. That is what separates him from all other gods, and that's what separates you from all other people. And now conversely, so the righteous are described as those who call upon the name of the Lord. The wicked are also described as those who do not call on the name of the Lord. 
just a, a few verses here. Psalm 14:4. Do not, or do all the workers of wickedness not know, who eat up my people as they eat bread, and do not call upon the Lord? Psalm 79:6. Pour out your wrath upon the nations which do not know you, and upon the kingdoms which do not call upon your name. Jeremiah 10:25. Pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you, and on the families that do not call on your name. Now, one of the functions of calling upon the name of the Lord is that God would revive or restore our hearts. And then one of the products of being revived or being renewed in the presence of the Lord is that we continue to call upon the name of the Lord. And that's, that's what we're going to see in these next verses is that, is that God hears and, and draws near when you call. Exodus 34, 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. So God is there. You call, he comes, and he is there with him. 2 Samuel 22, 4. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 91, 15. He will call upon me, and then what? I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, and I will rescue him, and I will honor him. God answers. He is with us in trouble. And then he will, res- he will rescue us and honor us. Psalm 102.2, do not hide your face from me in the day of distress. Incline your ear to me in the day when I call, when I call answer me quickly. Psalm 50.15, call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. So we call upon God. He saves us. He delivers us. He rescues us. And we give him glory. It draws attention to how great God is. That's, that is the, the function of prayer is... Not just that we are delivered, but that God looks great and he is honored. Psalm fifty-five, sixteen: as for me, I shall call upon the Lord and the Lord will save me. Psalm 56, 9, then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, this I know, that God is for me. Psalm 86, 5, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon. Psalm 86, 7. In the day of my trouble, I shall call upon you, for you will answer me. Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near. He is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Psalm 116, 2. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him. As long as I shall live, my God hears me, I'm going to call upon him. I am going to pray to him. When you call, God will hear and draw near. And then there's something significant about calling upon the name of the Lord as it relates to unbelievers. One of the, one of the fruits of calling upon the name of the Lord as believers is that the lost or the nations or the unbelievers hear about how great God is. We see this in a couple different, different examples from Scripture. Deuteronomy 4, 7. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord God is to us whenever we call on him? So, you know, if you were to call the office of the President of the United States with a problem, you would only be able to leave a message. And you know what? He would never listen to it. But even if he did hear the message, he wouldn't do anything about it. 
He's too busy. He's got other priorities. He's maybe the most powerful person in the world, but he's not going to pay attention to your phone message. But when you call on God, the God who created stars, the God who ordains all things, every beat of your heart, every movement of an atom in the air is, is controlled and ordained by God, the God who sent his son to die on a cross for sinners, the God who raised him from the dead and promises us new life forever, the God who has millions of followers around the world, millions and millions of people who, who call upon him with trouble, when you call as an individual, when you call as a church, he will draw near. There is no president, there is no king, there is no emperor, there is no God so near to his people as the Lord, our God, is to us whenever we call on him. And then a really good example of this, of God confronting the false gods of this world is the story of Elijah. You know that story, 1 Kings 18. Elijah is confronting the prophets of Baal, and he says, okay, you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon Upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So, you know the story. They took the bowl that was given them, they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. Okay, you know, he douses the altar with water. So then what does Elijah do? Elijah the prophet came near and said, Oh, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. When unbelievers call out for help to their gods, to their rulers, there's no voice, there's no answer. But when we call upon our God, He answers with unmistakable clarity and force. When God answers, No one can but declare that the Lord God is God alone. The sign that our God is alive is that he answers when we call. And you see this also in Jonah, the story of Jonah. You know when the boat is about to be capsized, he's running away from the Lord. Jonah 1.6, the captain approached Jonah and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God, perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. And what, is, what happens? Jonah prays. He, he obeys God, and the, the sea is stopped. The men see God's power, and what happens in the story? It says they began to call upon the name of the Lord. Those pagans on that ship were so moved by the power of God Almighty that they began to, themselves to call upon the name of the Lord. And then we see in 1 Chronicles 16.8, this, this verse is actually copied throughout different parts of the Bible, but this is just an example of this verse, one of the first times it's, it's found in the Old Testament. It says, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. 
Often the pattern of how prayer affects the lost or affects unbelievers is when God's people praise him, petition him, and proclaim him. So the, you can see the, the threefold pattern here. Thanks, him, thanks be to him or praise, petition, call upon his name, and proclaim, make known his deeds among the peoples. And you see this, this is the pattern in Acts of the early church, is, is when the people of God in Acts, they, they came together, they were thanking him for the, the great things he had done, and they were, they were worshiping him and praising him, and then that praise moved into petition, saying, Lord, do it again, save, save people, give us boldness, give us power to witness to Christ, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they went out and proclaimed the gospel. And that's the role of prayer and evangelism, is we, we got to go to the prayer meeting first, and then we go out and proclaim the gospel. If, if you want to be active in evangelism throughout the day, get in the presence of the Lord at the beginning of the day. Even if it's just a few minutes, just something where you can be with God and plead and petition and call upon His name that you might proclaim the gospel. When you call, God will hear, and He will draw near, and He will be with you. And so, revival is a product of calling upon the name of the Lord, and it's what produces calling upon the name of the Lord. And you see this in Psalm 80, 18. Then we shall not turn back from you. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. So what's What's the psalmist doing? He's already calling upon the name of the Lord. He's saying, revive us, and we will call upon your name. So one of the signs that God is moving among a person or among his people is that they, they, they have this hunger. They have this desire to call upon in the name of the Lord, and they start doing that, saying, God, renew, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Revive my heart. Renew me from within, and I will call upon your name. I will... I will carry on in the godly line. I will carry on as a righteous person, calling upon your name. Psalm 85, 6, will you not yourself revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you, that, that we might delight in knowing God? And you know, when you call, God will hear, and he will draw near. He will draw near. God is always, God is always the answer to your prayer. You may pray for something, and if you don't get, you, get what you want, you can know for certain that God is with you. You call upon him, and he draws near to you. He will always be with you in trouble. What if we don't desire to call upon him? What if, what if our hearts are dry, and our souls are, are weak, and we just don't feel a desire or a delight right now in the Lord? What, what if you go through a season like that? Job when he was suffering, his friends said about him in Job 27.10, they said, let's just watch. They said, will he take delight in the Almighty? Will he call upon God at all times? So here, evidence of him delighting in Almighty God is that he would be calling upon God at all times. And, you know, remember, remember that the chief expression of faith or trust in the Lord is calling upon his name. It's when faith is working the hardest, is when we, are, when we are not working, but we are on our knees in faith, calling upon the Lord, working and pleading that he would move, that he would fulfill his promises. So what if, what if I and you and all of us don't love to draw near to God and be in his presence? What, what if we're struggling with that? You know, I mean, 
to be honest, if we do not love to call upon the Lord and draw near to Him in this life, what makes us think that we'll even enjoy heaven? Because if we don't have much of God now in this life and we're not hungry for Him, what makes us think that we would even want to be in His presence in heaven? But, but don't be discouraged and don't despair because this is, this is the story of all the psalmists. Is they were desperate for God. So what that means is they, they didn't have enough of God. They wanted more. They desired to, to desire God. So if you don't desire to call upon the name of the Lord, this is my challenge to you. Pray for desire. God will answer that. Pray that you would desire to desire God. Say, God, give me that desire. Incline my heart to love your name. And just some practical suggestions. Learn to pray by praying with others who love to call upon the name of the Lord. Or be... Be around people who still smell like smoke, like they've just been in the Holy of Holies with the Lord. Pray with people. You don't, prayer is not taught, it's caught. You, you learn to pray by praying. And sometimes the best thing to do is just to pray with people and just to start praying. And then another thing that has helped me over the years is to read good classic books on prayer. I'm not talking cutting-edge books because a lot of times those aren't classics, they they don't stand the test of time. But one of my favorite, favorite writers on prayer is a guy named E.M. Bounds. And all his works are pretty much on the internet for free. He was the chaplain of the Confederate Army in the Civil War. And he was a Methodist preacher. And the thing about him is that he doesn't give you ten steps to a better prayer life. He just writes about meeting with God and praying in such a way that when I put his book down or I finish a chapter, I just want to pray. I have this, this stirring, this hunger, this desperation arising in my heart saying, God, I, I want to know you like that. And so one of, one of his books is really thin. It's called The Necessity of Prayer by Ian Bounds. You can find it on the internet. I encourage you to read it. It's an easy read. But if you read it with, with a hungry heart, you won't be the same. He said that desire goes before prayer. Prayer is the oral expression of desire. If prayer is asking God for something, then prayer must be expressed. Prayer comes out into the open. Desire is silent. Prayer is heard, but desire is unheard. So prayer is, is the expression of the desire. The deeper the desire, the more earnest the prayer. Now, if you don't desire to call upon the name of the Lord, here are some scriptures that I, I find helpful that are either promises from God that he will draw near to us when we call upon him, or... They are also scriptures that just plead for God to draw near. And I pray these pr pretty regularly. Isaiah 55, 1, in verses 6 and 7. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. To our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me, and I will answer you. I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Psalm 80, 18, revive us, and we will call upon your name. Revive us, and we will call upon your name. Psalm 50, 51, 9 to 11, hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then I find 
in Psalm 119, a lot of different verses that help me pray, and I pray these three almost every day probably. Open my eyes, in verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Psalm 119, 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Verse 145. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord. I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. And a, a prayer by a man named St. Augustine that has always encouraged me, this prayer kind of chronicles his struggle with prayer sometimes. He's, he said in his book called The Confessions, he says, Late have I loved you, O beauty ancient, ever new. Late have I loved you. For behold, you are within, and I without. And without I sought you, and deformed I ran after these forms of beauty which you have made. You were with me, and I was not with you. Those things held me back from you, things whose only being was to be in you. You called, you cried, and you broke through my deafness. You flashed, you shone, and you chased away my blindness. You became fragrant, and I inhaled and sighed for you. I tasted, now... You touched me, and I burn for your peace. When you call, God will hear and draw near. So would you pray with me? Holy God in heaven, come, would you stir our hearts to know you, to love you, to want to draw near to your presence. Lord, that we would say with the psalmist, one thing we have desired, is to meditate in your temple and dwell in the house of the Lord. God, that we would desire to be with you and to call upon your name when we are in trouble. That we would come to you first as the God who hears, as the king of the universe. So we worship you. Please come for the glory of Christ in his name.